Hello, everybody. Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. It's Chelsea back from a very short break, aka just a one-week break, where I really needed to regroup after LA. I have not done that much socializing in probably two and a half years. Maybe, no, it was two and a half years. I was just thinking about the last time I really was in a city and bopped around like that. I almost can't even recall. I was in Ubers every single day, different studios, different cafes, different co-working spaces. Every single day I met up met up with a friend or family member or client or someone, and I just needed to take a break. Oh, and let's not forget that I went to a wedding where I saw people that I haven't seen in three years, some of my best and closest friends, and we were partying together all weekend for a wedding. So yeah, after about 24 days of that, I was like, I need to to chill. I need to go into a cave. I spent 10 hours on one day of the week watching Siesta Key, which I have never watched before, by the way. I wasn't really a fan. Now I'm a fan. Fully obsessed. Can't wait to see what happens with all these crazy ass people. And then I worked for a little bit and then I just could not muster up the energy to record anything. And usually I get a little bit ahead, but this episode that I'm doing right now was really channeled. And sometimes I hate using that word, to be honest. But it really was one of those downloaded episodes where I was like, oh, this is an on the fly moment type of episode. But I could not record because I was so tired, which we're going to talk about rest later this week and what I plan to do with the podcast. So just stay tuned. But yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today. We are going to talk about why communication is one of the most important life skills you will literally ever have. I have a background in communication. It was my degree in college. I know it is one of the most frowned upon degrees because it kind of is really vague and people always make fun of it and they're like, it doesn't mean anything. It basically means when you're in college, you pick a major and you're like, hmm, this sounds good. Communications. Um, My sister's ex, her parents actually made fun of my degree and we're like, what can you possibly do with that degree? Like, what is she going to do? So I'm very aware of the stigma of getting a communications degree. And I don't really care what people think because having a degree in communications opened the door to so many other classes and so many other tracks of thinking that I never would have even thought about, like psychology. I have my minor in psychology And then that communications major actually led me to a class on reporting and hosting. And it was all about storytelling, about cutting and editing, about really providing your audience a compelling story. So everything I learned in the communications field was then applied to that class. And then that class led to internships at newsrooms and my university's communications department and sports, uh, local like sports channels. And then from there, I realized I just loved communicating in different ways because I also really loved writing. And I felt like everything I was doing for my degrees was a lot on video. It was a lot of reporting live, like broadcast journalism. So then I found a program at Loyola University called Masters in Digital Media and Storytelling. And I always tell people it's kind of a funny name because it sounds like you're getting a degree in reading children's books which I'm like, isn't that funny that we associate the word storytelling with children's books? That's like a whole other conversation that I would love to explore of like why that's the prompt. But 
I got my degree there and that was the most fun I've ever had in school. We learned how to write. We learned how to edit photography, video, graphic design. I mean, everything that you can think of as a way to tell a story is what we learned in that program. So throughout that program, the through line with all the classes was communications. If you think about it, storytelling is communication. It's how are you communicating your message through a video or a piece of audio or a poem or editing or whatever the case is, right? So I realized that communications is kind of the basis of everything we do. Because after that whole program, I went into sales and I was like, how is sales and my communications degree, how are they going to overlap? Like, what is that possibly going to do for me? Like, these aren't the same fields at all. And then I learned sales is just learning how to communicate your value proposition to your buyer. It's learning how to communicate through email and sending concise but short and effective emails. It's also communicating to your team. When you become a manager, how do you communicate, right? We've all had bad managers and we've all had great managers. And it's mostly the way they communicate is what deems them bad or good managers. And then you think of your relationships, how you communicate with one another is pretty much the basis of how your relationship will thrive, right? Because if you don't trust them, you have to communicate that. If you do trust them, you have to communicate that. If something bothers you, you have to communicate. And then think about friendships. If there's something off, you have to communicate. So it just started to hit me that like everything in my life has come from knowing communications and understanding how to have those interpersonal relationships and why communication really is like the number one life skill you could have. So I want to turn the tables to you for a second. I want you to think about the last group party, the last group dinner you went to. What do you remember about it? Who did you talk to? What was the vibe? Like, what was the energy? What was the feeling? And most importantly, why was it memorable? I have a hard time saying that word, memorable. <laughs> I need to take voice lessons. So for me, it's usually a specific conversation that makes it memorable. So whatever thought just came to mind, I want you to really drill down why was it memorable? Here's an example for me. I just went to that wedding last weekend and we were all hanging out by the pool. And I remember someone telling me how they wanted to start a podcast about medical and marketing myths. And I was like, oh, cool. That in and of itself wasn't that memorable, even though medical and marketing myths is so specific. But what changed the engagement of the conversation and what made it more interesting was their level of excitement. And then they gave me specific examples of what they wanted to talk about. And they use this very specific, interesting example that they want to talk about how sugar highs are a total myth and kids eat sugar at parties. So it's usually just the adrenaline and socializing and being in that buzzy environment that makes them excited. And there's usually sweets at those types of events. So I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's really interesting because first of all, I've had a sugar high or, or so I thought. And second of all, I've never heard that. So immediately that locks into my memory as an interesting conversation because it was so specific. It was something I don't talk about often, right? I don't talk about sugar highs and how they might be a myth every single day. And I've never thought of it from that perspective. So that's what really made that conversation stick with me even 10 days later as I'm recording this. 
So the reason I can recall that information from a whole 10 plus days ago as well is because of the verbal cues and the nonverbal cues that this person was using. It was also the specificity, woo, big word, and the fact that I was actively listening. Brene Brown actually just did an episode on memory and focus with Dr. Amisha Jha. She's a neuroscientist and the author of Peak Mind. And she said, we remember something by paying attention. And I know that seems obvious. You're like, duh, why is it? Why are you even talking about this on a podcast? But if you think about it, a lot of times we are half listening or we're thinking of something else while we're in conversation with someone. Usually what we're thinking about is how we're going to answer or we're thinking about something that we can relate to and how we're going to bring that up when they're done speaking. So it's really rare, actually, that people are fully present and actively listening. And I know this is a, a complex topic, right? Because in the part of listening is being able to respond. And so you can't respond if you're not thinking about your response. But you also don't want to get so in your head that you're like, wait, I totally lost what they were talking about because I was just ready to share about myself. And now I literally can't recall what they were saying. So that's what we're going to talk about today is communication skills and how far they can get you in life. And I will break this down from different perspectives of my own life and examples from other people to help really bring this whole concept together. So let's just kick off with what is communication? Like, what does that word actually even mean? It's kind of vague, right? Like you can get a degree in communications. People say an important skill is communication. People say the way the key to marriage is communication, right? So this word is thrown out around quite a bit. What it actually is, the dictionary definition, is the act of interacting and exchanging ideas with other people. And the way people communicate is usually in two ways, verbally and non-verbally. So developing both of these skills will help you articulate your message stronger, more effectively, and help people understand you better, which is the ultimate trifecta, right? How many times have you told a story or you've been talking to a partner or a boss and you're just like, how are we not on the same page? <laughs> like, are you not hearing me? Like, how are you not seeing my perspective? That usually means there's a communication breakdown. This whole memory right now is popping up in my mind at this very second. When I was in high school, I was arguing with my volleyball coach about something. I couldn't even remember right now, but I remember telling her, dear God, I can't believe I said this. I was like, I feel like I'm talking to a wall. Like, it feels like you're not understanding me at all. That was because we were not on the same level of communication and clearly there was a breakdown either verbally or non-verbally during that entire conversation that led to me telling my high school coach that I thought I was talking to a ball. <laughs> Woo, surprised I didn't get kicked off the team. Um, so yeah, verbal communication is how we express ourselves through speech, discussions, and conversations. Different components of that could be the volume of your voice, the clarity, the speed, and the vocabulary that you're using. So I just want to touch on those few things. The volume of your voice, right? You know, you need to go to a dinner party and you're like, oh my God, that guy is so loud. Like, how is he this loud? We're at a very quiet, intimate restaurant. That's sending a message to us. We're usually, you know, when we think of a loud person at dinner, I usually think of that person as like not self-aware because how can they not understand that they're screaming when we're at a candlelit you know, intimate Italian restaurant. And then I start thinking if they're not self-aware, that means they must not be 
you know, privy to the fact that they're being really like uncomfortable in this setting. And that makes me think that if I ever went to dinner with this person or was at a party, I would be really uncomfortable because I would be like, oh my gosh, they're so loud. They're not aware of their voice. So the volume of your voice communicates a lot about communication and the way you interact with people. Think of the opposite when someone's really shy, right? Whenever you watch a movie, they always portray the shy characters with really low voices. I've never seen a shy character that has a loud voice. It's always like, hey, I'm just looking for help, right? That is a very clear indicator of how you communicate. Now, clarity and speed are also really big factors. The biggest feedback I got in my uh, broadcast journalism class was that I talked way too fast. I still think I talk very fast. It is something after 10 years that I've really never been able to get a handle on. Um, I probably have, you know, improved a little bit, but I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to start a podcast and no one can tell me how fast or slow I can talk. And apparently now everyone listens to things at two times speed. So who's the last one laughing? Mr. Whatever the fuck his name was in my video class. So anyways, speed is really important, right? If someone's talking really fast, the reason my teachers said, you know, you need to slow down is because they were basically telling me your message is not coming off that effective or strong. And people are having a hard time understanding you because we literally just can't hear the words because you're moving too fast. So it's causing an ineffective message. Clarity is the same thing. Enunciation and the way you pronounce things. This is something I could absolutely work on. I'm not kidding. I want to hire a voice coach because I know I can literally make up words or string things together, or I just don't use the correct enunciation. Um, let's keep in mind, my mom is Spanish. And so I, I grew up with a Spanish mother with a Spanish accent. And I feel like, you know, I picked up a little bit of that. <laughs> so the speed at which I talk and the volume of my voice and the clarity, a lot of that comes from my environment and who I hung out around. And then also vocabulary. This is a really big part of verbal communication. So you know, you know who I'm thinking of right now is Shep from Southern Charm. How he'll just use words and you're like, what are you talking about? Like, we're just in a regular conversation at dinner and he's using all these phrases from, you know, a book he just read or whatever. He's clearly trying to send off a message. I am smarter than you and I'm going to use words that you don't know to make myself look smarter than you. It's very clear when you watch the show that that's what he's doing. I don't think he's doing that because that's just naturally how he speaks. I think it's very much an ego thing where he's like, I know people won't know these words. And so I'm going to use a very high level of vocabulary and make myself look better. And that says something about him, right? I'm talking about him right now, not because I think he's the most interesting character on the show, but because of the vocabulary he uses makes me think a certain way about him. Think about it the opposite way. If someone has a, a vocabulary they're struggling with, it can make their, their message come off more ineffective or not as strong because they don't have the vocabulary to, to communicate that. That's literally what we're talking about, communicating. This happens all the time with my own podcast. You've probably heard me say it. I'm like, God, what's the word for that? Or like, wait a second, what was the name of that one thing? Or what do you call that? And while I'm you know out loud trying to figure out what that word is, that probably causes you all to be like tuning out because I don't have the word for it. But here's the good news. All these things can be worked on, right? These are not things that you are just innately born with and can't fix. I can work on the volume of my voice. I can work on speed. I can work on clarity. I can learn new words. When I have trouble finding a word, I can work on my vocabulary. I can get the word of the day app. 
I can Google things. You guys would be shocked at how often I am Googling the definition of something. I'm not kidding. I actually do it quite a bit and I do it a lot in my courses. I will literally pull up the Google dictionary definition of something and read it out loud to people. I'll be like, let's actually look at what the word manifestation means or let's look at the word abundance and see what the vocabulary is. But I also do that in my own life. Like even on this podcast, like I said, when I'm struggling to find the vocab, I'm like, okay, I need to immediately look this up right after and figure out what the word is. Because next time I record and want to use that word, I want my message to come off effectively. So the effectiveness and the strength of your message really depends heavily on verbal communication. But nonverbal communication is also just important. And as you can imagine, it's not verbal. We don't use words. So think of things like body language, eye contact, facial expressions, all that stuff makes up your nonverbal communication. And I feel like these skills really enhance your message and complement it, or depending on how you use it, it could also contradict them. How often have you seen something where someone's talking about something that they seem excited about and you're like, I can't tell if they're excited or sad. This happens a lot on TV. This is why I love watching reality TV when anyone wants to shit on reality TV and be like, losing brain cells, your brain is turning to mush, can't believe you watch that trash. I'm like, I watch it a lot for the way people communicate because I think it's fascinating to watch the breakdowns and the breakthroughs that happen when, you know, reality TV stars are on an island living together, figuring out if they want to get married or not. I'm like, that's really interesting to watch all the verbal expressions and nonverbal expressions. And I've also watched episodes where I'm like, wait, I can't tell if she's in love with him or she hates him. I can't tell if she's sad or like the happiest person in the world. That is actually because there's a nonverbal element that is competing with the verbal element that makes it seem not on the same page. So again, eye contact, body language, facial expressions, all that stuff comes into play when we're talking about nonverbal communication. I feel like people that are flirts have really good nonverbal communication skills. I know personally, I'm not a flirt at all. I'm actually really awkward when it comes to flirting. And I always get jealous of people that are flirts because I'm like, where did they learn this? Like, it's truly a skill to have that level of nonverbal communication, you know, like touching somebody on the arm or flashing a smile or fluttering the eyelashes, uh, flipping your hair, like throwing your head back and laughing. These are all really, I think, amazing life skills to have that I think I need to work on myself because I think if you know how to flirt with in the dating context, you can use that to your advantage when you are recording a podcast, when you're negotiating your salary, when you are trying to talk to your partner. I think having this skill of flirting because you understand nonverbal communication is actually amazing. So when we think about communication and wanting to communicate with people effectively, we really do need to develop these skills because they come in handy in every aspect of life. Meeting strangers while traveling, dating, negotiating, resolving a conflict, interviewing. You're never gonna not need communication, right? Every single scenario I just went through, I can't imagine how you would do that without understanding how to communicate verbally and non-verbally. So I'm going to go through each of those examples with a story to really paint a picture for you. I like storytelling, so I feel like it's nice to paint a picture with these points. So let's start with meeting strangers while traveling. I'll use an example from Barcelona when I went last summer. When my ex and I ended our relationship, I was like, I need to go travel and clear my head and just find new scenery. 
And so I went on a full mini Euro trip for like four or five weeks around Europe. At one point, my sister met up with me and then she left. And then I ended up in Barcelona for like three days by myself. So this was the very tail end of the trip. And I had so many different emotions. My trip was coming to an end and I had had so much fun with my sister by myself. It really helped me clear my head and move forward. But I also was dealing with the grief of the relationship and knowing that I had to go back to the apartment and grab all my stuff and see my ex again. And the trip was over. And I feel like whenever a trip comes to an end, especially one that that's so fun, you're just like, damn, I can't believe it's over. So all these emotions were really swirling in Barcelona. And I started to feel really like sad almost because of all these different things swirling around in my head. So I was like, I need to go meet other people and communicate with other people so I can make connections. Because if you think about it, that's what it is. Communicating with people is making a connection. So I booked this cooking tour. It was so much fun. It was a paella cooking tour in Barcelona. And I remember being like, I'm actually doing this to hopefully meet one or two people that will be like partners during the cooking class and keep my mind off of things and then just cook and be done. And hopefully I'll feel better. Well, based on communication skills of being a nonverbal and verbal communicator, I was able to make friends with everybody in the class. We all added each other on Instagram. We all got each other's emails. We're all still in contact. Actually, a few of them are in Portugal where I'm going this summer. And I'm like, isn't that crazy that I could end up visiting someone in Portugal a whole year later because of a two hour cooking class because of the way we communicated. Now, here's what makes it even more interesting. Everyone, not everyone, there were probably four people with different nationalities. So we had Portuguese people, we had Italian people, Americans, and all of us have different cultures and communication styles, right? Those are totally different backgrounds and, and environments we grew up in. So I really had to use my skill of reading nonverbal cues and verbal ones to be able to connect with people in such a small group. Because here's the other thing, a few of them are couples and a few of them were friends. So I was coming into this group of people that already knew each other. And so I couldn't just be like, what up, guys? How's it going? Because they already had their group. Some nonverbal skills I used were smiling. Okay, the most basic one, smiling, laughing, looking at people in the eye when they were speaking. You know, these are all nonverbal cues that really showed a genuine interest in making a connection with these people. Also verbal cues, asking questions and perking up and listening and leaning in and putting my hand on my chin and leaning forward and nodding my head and showing interest. That's what made it move from surface level to deeper, which then caused us to all exchange emails and phone numbers. Now, let me be clear here. I'm not giving myself all the credit. There were some amazing communicators on that trip, including this lovely woman who was so talkative, so fun. Like she really connected the group. And I'm like thinking about it right now. I'm like, yeah, she was an excellent communicator. She understood verbal cues and nonverbal cues and really got that group all together. Where at the end, there were actually four tables where we all could have sat and we all sat at the same table. We actually stayed after the class and ended up drinking together and going to another bar and grabbing drinks at this happy hour. And I'm like, that is so cool, right? That this this cooking class, which is supposed to be a quick two hour cooking class, learn a new skill in and out, maybe have some fun, ended up being this whole experience that we spent the day together and then stayed in touch and ended up wanting to hang out after the class. 
That was not by accident. That's because of communication skills. Now let's talk about dating and flirting. What you say and how you say it is like literally what makes or breaks relationships. That's why tone and text are so important. You know, when you're texting your partner and you're just like, hey, can you make dinner? I'm making that up. Okay. You could read that as like, what the fuck? Are they just like expecting me to make dinner? Like didn't even add an emoji or a question mark or a smile. Like why are they being so short? Or you could take that as like, oh, there's like, you know, simply asking if I can make dinner. But that's the problem with texting. And that's why people always say, pick up the phone. This is, again, why I love reality TV. They're like, you should have just picked up the phone and called me. We could have figured it out. I feel like I hear that on every show. Like I said, I just watched 10 hours of Siesta Key the other day. And that was a line that kept coming up. It was like, if you had a problem with me, you should have picked up the phone or come to my face. I, you know, shouldn't have gotten that in a text. Actually, I'm thinking about it even further. Sorry, guys, I have to use this example because I just watched so much Siesta Key. When Sam and Juliet break up, a big part of that was because she just texted him, want to come to Paris with me. And he was like, what? Like, you're my partner. Why are you texting me? Like, why wouldn't you come to me? And he keeps calling their their relationship surface level. And she gets upset because she's like, what do you mean? It's not surface level. And he's like, no, we have a communication problem. He literally says that. So that was actually one of the main reasons they broke up was their communication issues and the tone and the way they spoke to each other was not conducive to them being together. So when you think about dating, I love that I just used that example. God shows me that reality TV is not a waste of time. It actually helps with content for the podcast, but it really does make or break relationships. Same thing when you're starting to date and you're you know, in that first date phase or second date phase and you're into them. How do you show someone that you're into them? Usually it's smiling, again, eye contact, maybe touching their arm. You know, there's so many different ways that you communicate with them without explicitly stating, wow, I like you so much. And that's what progresses the relationship. This is why I personally think I need to take a flirting 101 class because it is something I struggle with. And this is my whole point is that communication is a strong skill that you need for every area of life. So even though I think I communicate really well with friends, I actually think I have a hard time when it comes to f the flirting stage and those beginning stages of dating where I'm like, I have a hard time progressing the relationship in a nonverbal way or the opposite. I don't really know what to say or I don't know how to communicate it feeling like some type of way about it. So it's really interesting, right, that these communication breakdowns in certain areas of our life do actually affect the way that we're living in that area of life. So it's something personally that I'm working on and understanding that there are nonverbal ways to express things just like there are verbal ones. But yeah, dating, flirting, you know, progressing your relationship, that all has to do with communication, negotiating your salary. Okay, I love this one because I just watched an episode of The Office where, who was it? Oh my gosh, I'm blanking out on the person's name, where he wants a salary raise and he goes to Michael and Michael read this whole document online about playing hardball when someone's trying to negotiate your salary because he doesn't want to give the person a salary raise. So he reads all these silly things like challenge them directly and don't look them in the eye and 
sit up straight so you show authority and it's hilarious because we all know michael from the office is an absolute fool so what he takes the not looking at them in the eye as like rolling his eyes in the back of his head and then he takes sitting up straight as like standing up and being like overly exaggeratory about it he doesn't have a grasp on how the energy of the room is and it's just so funny to watch because you're watching this guy trying to calmly negotiate his salary and michael's trying to play hardball and he looks like an idiot so this is actually a great example of when you're personally trying to negotiate your salary, you want to come in with a certain tone, right? You want to come in looking strong and like, yeah, I deserve this salary raise. I'm ready for this. And I'm going to show you how with my verbal expressions and my nonverbal expressions. So things like direct eye contact, sitting up straight, shaking their hand firmly, calm tone. That's totally different than crossing your arms over your body you know, pushing yourself back away in the chair, getting argumentative, dart eye contact and not look them in the eye. That doesn't send a message that I'm confident and I'm ready for more responsibility, therefore a higher pay, because that's not what your body language is giving off. We see this all the time in movies when people go in to negotiate a salary and they're awkward about it. The boss doesn't give it to them. Never is it like the person that can't make eye contact with body language that is so, you know, resistant and talks really, really quiet and shy gets the salary raise. That doesn't really happen. So in order to negotiate your salary, you have to be clear, calm and direct. And those are all communication skills. Resolving a conflict with a family member. Woo! Lordy Lord, this is one that I continue to work on day in and day out as I currently live with my family. And I will open up about a recent story. So essentially, I won't get into a lot of specifics, but a sibling and I got into an argument. And instead of using any of the points that I just mentioned before of breathing and calm tone and eye contact, I did the opposite. I blew up on text message. I lost all communication skills. My tone was aggressive. My body language. I didn't speak to my sibling. I was avoiding her. I was literally doing everything that I'm teaching you not to do right now. <laughs> So I was all over the place. And again, the big mistake here was it was all done over text. So the tone was horrible. There was no verbal or nonverbal cues to really give any insight into how I was feeling. And then the way I handled it after in person was also horrible because I was just avoiding it. And that obviously gave off a signal of I'm not trying to fix this. I'm not trying to make a connection. Don't talk to me. I'm ignoring you. I'm icing you out. And as you can imagine, that doesn't that doesn't resolve anything and actually did the opposite effect. It made us more angry. It pushed us away further from each other. And it ended up getting to a point where we didn't talk for almost a week. And I want to remind you, I live with this person. <laughs> so that was not the best way to resolve a conflict. So what I ended up doing to resolve this was I communicated through writing because I knew if I tried to communicate in person, I would probably just have a breakdown and I didn't want to reignite any of the feelings from the week before. So I wrote a letter apologizing and explaining my side of what I felt I was receiving and the way I, the reason I reacted like that and I handed it to my sibling. So I ended up working out and we gave each other a hug and it was so interesting because it's like the physical hug is what ended up really dissolving the anger. So hugs are also kind of, kind of nonverbal cues if you think about it, right? You know, when again, go to any scenario in your life, a movie, your own relationships, your family members, we're like, I just need a hug. 
that is a nonverbal cue that's meant to resolve something. Just, you know, give me a hug. I just need a hug. That's also how I used to resolve conflicts with my ex. I was like, okay, now that we're like done talking about this, can I just have a hug? <laughs> that's how I always closed out like a final conflict resolution argument. I was like, I just need a hug. So that's something that's a nonverbal skill that helps dissolve anger. And that's something that we can all learn, right? When we're trying to resolve conflicts with a family member or a partner, you have to have communication skills. If I treated every situation like that one, where I just blew up on text, ignored people, didn't take any responsibility and just hoped that one day it would blow over and we get back to normal, that would be asinine, right? Like nothing is going to happen with that type of communication skill. And again, these things can be learned, which we'll talk about in a second. These are not things that you're, you have to live with. Like I don't have to now identify as someone who always blows up in the face of conflict or who never knows how to communicate verbally. These are things that I am actively working on, not only personally, but like in therapy or with a coach. This is why I always think it's really cool to have mentors or teachers in your life that can teach you skills that you may not have. So yeah, I am working on things in therapy. I'm working on my own mindfulness and how I respond to conflict. And it's something that is a work in progress, but I'm learning it. And that's the point is I get to learn it. And it's something that I don't have to write off as like, oh, that's just me. That's just my personality. And lastly, interviewing someone for your show, whether that's your podcast, your YouTube channel, maybe it's an Instagram live. We've all heard interviews where people are steamrolling the conversation and it becomes a really awkward interview to listen to because you're like, how is this person not reading the room? Like, how is the host not understanding that that guest was about to just drop this absolute gold nugget of wisdom and they keep cutting them off or they keep asking them questions and then interrupting and then they never get back to the question. I see this all the time. Go look at big podcasts and their reviews. You'll see that people can pick up on this. These are not things that me as a podcaster can pick up on just from my training and being in this field. Anybody can pick this up if you listen close enough to the interview. And actually, I did a reel on this on my Instagram, and someone commented this exact comment. I'm going to read it out loud. They said, this is how Howard Stern interviews people, and it's so, with like 10 O's, annoying. I only found this out because I watched his Harry Styles interview. I wouldn't watch him otherwise. Harry handled it like a champ anyways, but gosh, Howard was annoying. Like, shut up. That was literally the comment. Let's not forget Howard Stern is known as one of the most like famous interviewers slash hosts. And so it's really interesting that someone picked up that he was steamrolling the interview and said, this is how he interviews. So it's kind of a cue. It's kind of a pattern that this person recognized saying, this is how he interviews. This is not an isolated incident. He's known for interrupting people and he just won't shut up. So if you don't want to be like Howard Stern and you want to learn how to interview where you don't have to be an investigative reporter or cutting people off or steamrolling the conversation, all you have to do is improve your communication skills. You don't have to become a professional in communications and go get your master's in it. You can just learn the art of verbal and nonverbal communication. And I think especially the nonverbal, to be honest, I think nonverbal is so important. So let's take a pause and reflect on any of those areas of life, whether that's traveling, dating, negotiating, resolving conflict, interviewing. What is one of those areas that you feel like you could work on? I just told you mine is definitely dating and definitely resolving conflicts, but I actually think I'm pretty good at meeting strangers while traveling and interviewing. 
I was actually thinking about that in LA when I was running around all over. It kind of hit me of like, why do I have this many meetings with people? Or like, how did I set up this many times to socialize? And I tried to backtrack of like, how, literally, where did I meet this person? Or why are we still in touch? And it's usually because of the communication skills we have. We have chosen to stay in touch, or they listened to my podcast, or they were an old client of mine, or we stayed really good friends because we have amazing conversations. And I was like, that's actually really cool. It's something I wrote down and journaled about after that. I was like, I feel really good about the fact that I genuinely love having curious conversations with people that I think ends up landing me friends in different area codes, in different countries, in different continents. Like I'm still in touch with people that live in Bali and Australia and literally like everywhere all over the world. And I'm like, I don't think that's by accident. And it's a skill I picked up is meeting strangers while traveling. And I'm really grateful for that. And you know how I did it? I practiced. I've traveled abroad and been in situations where I was forced to speak to people if I wanted to order dinner or get to a hostel or grab a cab. I had to learn how to interact with people. I studied abroad for three months. I lived in Australia for a year. And then I lived in a country where I literally couldn't speak the language for a year. So I was forced to learn nonverbal communication as well as verbal communication in order to be able to fit in these different groups, right? A German is totally different than an Australian, which is totally different than an American. And being in three different countries over the span of three years taught me so much about communication. It's unreal. Like everyone's always like, I can't believe you lasted a year in Germany. And sometimes I'm like, I don't either because it's not my climate. It's not my vibe. It's not the weather. It's nothing that I would ever actively choose to be in outside of dating someone there. And it was interesting because I'm like, why did I stay so long? Or like, why was I not completely miserable? And I think it's because I had great communication skills. So even though I couldn't speak the language, I still could somewhat enjoy myself and I could get around and figure myself out and be resourceful because again, I could read nonverbal cues. That's also why when I travel, especially with friends, I'm usually the one that likes to take the lead on communicating with locals because I feel very sensitive to when people don't understand nonverbal cues or verbal communication. We'll, we'll just start calling it communication. When people don't understand like the local culture and they they start to take that as like, oh my God, this is so weird. Or, oh my God, that person's so rude. Or they're so cold. That's how I actually felt when I first got to Germany. I was like, God, everyone is so rude. Everyone is so mean to me. Everyone hates me. Everyone hates Americans. And then I just started to learn, no, it's different cultures. It's different way of different ways of communicating and different ways of viewing the world. And that helped me shape my worldview. So like I said, when I go travel in group gatherings now, I really don't like to watch people say things like, oh, God, that person was so weird because I'm like, they're not weird. They just do something different than you. And that's clearly a communication issue. That's it. That's all that it is. Same thing with interviewing. I've actually practiced for years. So you can see the two things I'm picking out of here, meeting strangers and interviewing aren't random things that I've only done one time. Interviewing was part of my undergrad degree. It was literally a class that I was in called interviewing and hosting. And then it was also part of my master's degree. I had to interview loads of people, not just in a sense for a podcast. I had to interview people like as an intake, an onboarding process. I had to make a website for a client. So I basically had to interview her for like, what did she want? I had to do market research and I had to interview people to see what type of products they wanted. 
I had to interview people for a video I did. I had to interview a shop owner for an article I wrote. So I was constantly interviewing, whether it was for video or audio or written word. And then when I went into sales, you could almost think of of selling as interviewing, where I actually had to ask the buyer, what are you looking for? Do you see this product being a fit? You know, what solutions are you currently evaluating? These are kind of interview questions when you zoom out and think about it. So it's something that I've been actively practicing since I was basically in college. And then I took all those skills into my podcast, which I've been doing for almost five years. And I've done probably more interviews than I have solo episodes. Actually, I will say for sure I've done more interviews than I have done solo episodes. So this is all to say those are things I practice. I don't think I was just naturally born with the skill for interviewing and meeting strangers while traveling. I think I have that curiosity in me and I like talking to people, but then I practice by actually being in the world and doing it. That's actually why I created Interview and Hosting Lab. It's not just so that you can be a better interviewer with your podcast. Yes, that is a big focus of it. I know so many people are scared to interview because they think they need way more experience or a bigger following, or they just don't possess that interview skill. And they're like, no, I'm just going to do solo episodes. You know, I can control that. I don't have to worry about anything but myself. And I totally get that, right? Being scared of something because you are new at it. And none of us like to look like beginners. We don't want to look bad at it. But the way you get better by something is by learning it and then doing it. So that's why I set up the lab and the way that it's set up where you're going to learn for about 30 minutes, but then you're going to go apply and practice it and then come back and receive feedback. The reason I ever got better at interviewing was because in my college class, we had to report our whole story in front of the class, put our video up on a huge jumbo screen and have people critique it out loud and say, I think you talked too fast. I think the intro was a little too long. You know, you kind of rambled when you were asking that one athlete a question. So I had to learn that very early on in my career and then through people's feedback of, oh my gosh, I love that interview, but I wish you would have asked them this or, oh my God, that interview was so killer. Like you asked her all the right questions. So it's from audience feedback that I've been able to improve my own skills. And so when I hear people saying I'm scared to interview or I don't think I'm ready, I can understand that because they don't have a space to practice. They don't want to practice it live on their own channels and they don't want it. They definitely don't want to practice in public. So I was like, you know what? Instead of just teaching a class where I give you a few slides and then hope that you apply them, let me create a lab where you can truly experiment. And my favorite part about this whole lab is that these are skills that are going to take you beyond this class. You will likely get invited on more podcasts as a guest because you're a great interviewer. And that could lead to so many new opportunities. For example, I interviewed Natalia Benson for my podcast. I believe it was episode 137. She said she loved that interview so much. She promoted it on her newsletter, which I had never really seen her promote her being on other podcasts on her newsletter before. And she said, this is what truly one of my favorite conversations. And that meant a lot to me because I had practiced so much. You have to remember, she was on episode 137. And I would say 90% of my, my podcast episodes are interviews. So I had done so many interviews before her that when we did that episode, it really resonated with her and she wanted to share, which was really cool because a lot of people never share because they're just too busy or the interview wasn't that memorable. So the fact that she shared it meant a lot and that that interview truly stuck with her. And then when I pitched to be on her podcast, she said, absolutely, like, come on, let's let's do it. 
So I'm really excited to share that that's going to air in July. And I posted a clip from that conversation on my Instagram. I can link it in the show notes where she said, this is why we're here because you led such a great interview. I can't imagine what's going to happen after this podcast. I imagine new doors will open. Maybe I will guest speak in some of, in some of her programs. Maybe some of her clients will come to me. Maybe I'll teach her, right? There's so many opportunities that happened just because of the way I interviewed her. So that's why I want to teach you this skill. This is not something that I was just born with. It's something I learned over a decade and practiced over a decade. So yeah, you'll probably open a lot of doors when you learn how to interview. You'll probably make a lot more friends when traveling. You'll likely feel more confident when negotiating your phone bill or salary. You'll develop a really strong sense of self-esteem because when you know how to articulate your message and people can understand you better, you connect on such a deep level. The best connections I have with people are the ones I can communicate easiest with. It's that whole saying of like, we just get each other or she just gets me. The best friends I have are the ones I communicate best with. The best memories from my relationships were the times where we were communicating the most effectively. The best podcast episodes I've done are the ones where I'm very specific and very clear and articulate my message really well. So you get the point, right? This is a skill that's going to transcend this class. So if this feels exciting to you and like a supportive environment and a skill that you want to work on, I would love to have you join Interview and Hosting Lab. It goes down this Thursday, May 26th, and the cutoff to join us is the night before at 9 p.m. I'm going to include all the details in the show notes, and there are two different payment options. You can pay in full or split pay. It's just $1.99, and I would love to hear your thoughts. I would honestly love to know your opinions, your feelings, what you think about this episode, and think about your own communication skills and your communication levels. Like, where have you gotten really far in life because you know how to communicate? And where do you feel like there's maybe a breakdown because you're just not being that clear? I would love to hear from you. So just DM me at Chelsea Rife or email me info at ChelseaRife.com. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I love talking about communication. I think it's fascinating. This is why I love reality TV because I love to watch how people communicate. Um, I'm all caught up on Summer House. I'm on Siesta Key now. I caught up on Below Deck Sailing Yacht. So if there are any reality TV shows that you think I need to watch, please let me know so I can add it to my roster because now I'm considering it podcast research and I would really appreciate it. And before you go, remember that if you leave a review on the podcast this month, you'll be entered into a giveaway to win a free Notion launch plan. So this is something that only my private clients have access to, and it has every single step that you need to launch a podcast. It has links, tutorials, resources, checklists. Literally, if you have this document, you can launch a podcast. So if you want to win one, again, just leave a review, take a screenshot of that review, and then send it to info at chelsearife.com, and I will pull a winner at the end of the month. All right. I am so excited about interview and hosting lab. I hope to see you inside and you will be getting another episode this Friday. You get lucky. There's two this week since I skipped last week. So again, thank you so much for listening and see you Friday.